Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of What's Brewing here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am Chris Nozick, the host here, joined by my co-host, the one and only legendary Dominic Tiano. Dom, how are we doing today? I know you've been a bit under the weather. Hopefully you're feeling a little bit better a year, a week into this new year. Uh, doing great, Chris. I went and watched some hockey this morning and this afternoon. I uh, went and did l- some laundry, walked in the door, and you messaged me and said, we're ready to go, and here we are. So um, always ready got to time hockey. to kill. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm always ready to talk hockey, especially Bruins hockey. And, uh, you know, coming out of the, the break, they've been on a bit of a heater, which um, has been nice to see. They've, they've been playing a lot better than when they went into the break, that's for sure. You mentioned watching hockey this morning. I've got the Blackhawks and Flames game on right now, so they're, they're in the third period. But you know who, who, who didn't have a great new year was uh, our, our good buddy Matt Poitra with Canada losing in the quarterfinals of the IIHF World Juniors Tournament. So um, he came back a little bit early. What uh, what did you think of his performance? Is there a lot, in your opinion, that we can take away from him, his performance in the World Juniors, the fact that Canada got eliminated so early? Like, is that a big deal to you in your eyes for him as a Bruin? Not at all. I said he's going to come back better because of this tournament, regardless of of how well or how well Canada didn't do. Um, he started off slow. He got better as the tournament went on. He was a beast in the third period in their last game. Um, you know, he he got to Sweden later than the rest of the team. It took him a little bit more time to get acclimated. Um, um, but it is what it is. I, You know, the U.S. were the heavy favorites, uh, followed by Sweden, I'm not surprised that Canada did not medal. I I really am not. Um, the the Americans were a juggernaut of a team uh, with eleven possible returnees next year. They'll be the same thing. Sweden had a great team. Um, I, I'm I take it for what it is. I I went in with low expectations, and and that's what we got. Now <coughs> the thing is. With Patra, he's in a bad situation right now because he got back, he got acclimated to the Eastern time zone, uh, played a very good game last night as part against Tampa, and uh, now he's changing time zones again on a, on a four-game road trip. So um, that could have an effect over on him for the next couple of games. Yeah, it's definitely rough, and and I don't put a lot of stake. I mean, if anything, I would say Patra had a pretty good tournament given his circumstances because, to your point, he flew over later than anybody else. He got there the day before a game, changed multiple time zones, still played in that game on a different size sheet of ice than he's been playing on for the last three, four, five months, and – Overall, what was it? Five, five, uh, four points in five games for him, yeah. something yeah. like that. So, all things considered, that's not that bad. I, I wasn't really expecting him to go out and in five games post, you know, a 2.0 points per game average. It would have been nice to see, but with all those things going against him, he still averaged almost an entire point per game. 
Yeah. I have no complaints over that with all the things he had to adapt to. And now he has to readapt to him. But I think the pace of the NHL is something he's a little bit more used to right now. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hope the guy can sleep on the, on the plane. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> he it, it deserves it. You know, it's, it's really the first time on the big ice surface for him. So that, that was an adjustment. The time change, uh, really no time to gel with team, teammates. Like, let's face it, nobody on Canada uh, reached the expectations. Not one individual player. Um, I mean, even, even people are saying Celebrini underperformed, which, I mean, he still, he had, I don't even remember how many points he had, but he still had a good tournament. It was, yeah, he did. Some players had good tournaments. It's just, as a team, I, I know there's been a lot of questions about player selection as far as building a cohesive unit. Exactly. And, um, you know, in Canada, when you got players coming from three different leagues um, and the NCAA, so really four, who really, uh, unless they're out of, let's say, the OHL, for one, they really don't know each other. Like they're they're coming together for for the first time. Um, so you know it's a tough situation. It's it's not like the under 18s where you got a Canada East and a Canada West, and uh, players from both both teams are familiar with each other to some extent. Yeah, and and I just the the reason why I bring it up though is is more so for Potra's performance. I think a lot of people were trying to read a, a little too much into it, mm-hmm. you know, given the fact that one the team's performance was so unexpected as far as where they finished in a lot of people's eyes anyway, uh, and also just what he had to go through to get there just to play, let alone have any sort of uh, success over there. Which I would still say four points in five games is successful offense. Yeah. So but and he got to play in situations again that <laughs> in the NHL he hasn't faced or hasn't done not since his days in junior. He was killing what's that? Didn't they have it was it the power play bumper that they had him playing in that he'd never played yeah. before? It was a spot on the power no, no. play. Yeah, yeah they they had him in the bumper but they also had him out there killing penalties and uh, uh, out there protecting a lead in the, you know, at different points of the game. So, and you know what? Montgomery has proven that he's not going to use them that way. Right. Exactly. So, so, which is, which is something else we're going to talk about in a little bit here. Um, but obviously, Poitras coming back to the lineup sends down the guy that everybody wanted to see get called up, Georgie Merkulov. Um, he got a nice little look, couple game sample, which is what everybody's been clamoring for. And, um, a lot of people weren't too happy that he played a bottom six role, but what are your thoughts overall on Merkulov and what we saw from him? I, I've got no worries with Merkulov that he's going to play in the NHL. Here's the thing. And, and what people forget is Merkulov was called up to replace Matthew Patra uh, while he was at the World Juniors. And what is Matthew Patra, the third-line center? Okay, that's number one. He wasn't there to replace 
geeky on the first line or he wasn't there to replace Coyle on the second line. He was there to replace Matthew Patra. And, you know, I said it on another show, Merkulov to me looked like he was afraid to make a mistake. He he didn't do what the things, the things that got him successful in Providence is, and that's to create offense while still being a strong defensive player. It's got nothing to do with the teammates he has or the line mates that he's playing with. Um, Let's put it this way. Matthew Patra, we saw at times, can drive a line. He can create offense on his own. And that's what Merkulov was there to do. And he didn't do it. Now, after game three, um, if he's not doing it in games one, two, and three, he's not going to do it in game four playing with David Pasternak and Pavel Zaka. It, it just isn't going to happen. You haven't shown that you, you can do what got what supposedly got you here. So Montgomery looked at it and said, okay, I've got to make a change. What am I going to do? He's got experience playing with John Beecher and Oscar Steen from a season ago down in Providence. And he thought, okay, maybe you can catch lightning in a bottle and put the three of them together and, and see if something clicks. And then move Freddie into the middle, and you, you got your three centers. Unfortunately, their first two shifts, they looked, they looked terrible, and they didn't play much the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's also one of those things where you, you start off that way, and like you said, if you catch the lightning in a bottle and Merkulov all of a sudden things click, you can always shift him with someone else just to see if those habits carry over. But like there was, I think he did accidentally get a shift with um, with Zaka and Pasternak in one of the first couple games that he played. Like he was out there for a change, and they hadn't fully changed, so they yeah. getting the face off. And you know, like I said, accidentally gets the shift, but that's going to happen because it's hockey. But at the same time, I think a lot of people forget that during a game, if a player's playing well, you can shift them around. We've seen that so much with. Trent Frederick this year. We've seen it with Morgan Geeky this year, even Patra himself, where they'll be out on the ice with players that they didn't start with, but they're having a hell of a game. So you want to keep getting them a little bit more ice time, especially if it's a player like Patra who, you know, you want to get him minutes, but you aren't able to get him minutes that are detrimental when you're trying to hold on to that one goal lead or, you know, and, and I know people have been complaining about that, but, Coyle and Zaka and Geeky and Frederick and DeBrusque and, and those guys, they are the ones that are going to be out there in the playoffs protecting that one goal lead. They're getting those reps right now. You can't just take them away from those guys and expect them to be able to do them all 100% come playoff time. They need those reps now. Poitra can get them later when he's going to be one of those guys who gets that time. Yeah, and... Look, again, I've got no fear that Merkulov will be an NHL player. It's just not right now. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes it takes a player two or three call-ups before they become comfortable and and trust in their own abilities to, to play at the NHL level that they play at the AHL level. And, you know... 
you and I have talked about this before, Chris. I absolutely hurt, hate burning four games of of Merkulov and bringing them closer to waiver eligibility because they were four meaningless games for him. I was just going to say, I, I look at the call-up, and, and in a bubble, I look at it and I go, kind of like Mason Lorai's first time up here, I go, was it a failure? No, just because there wasn't enough to sit there and go, he can't do this. There was more to sit there and say, okay, one day he can get to this level as long as he keeps doing what he's doing to to get better on a day-in and day-out basis. By next year, he should be much better, and he should be right. much closer to being ready. And then when we look at it the way that, you know, on paper, when you sit there and go, okay, well, now instead of having, what, 80 games – now he's got basically 75 before you have to make a decision. I wish I had those four games back. I, I, yeah. I think we could have looked at that and, and seen what he does in Providence and go, I don't think he's quite ready for four games at the National Hockey League just yet. We can keep those four games in our back pocket. And to your point, bump those to next year where he we can have a whole bunch of paper transactions with the guy when he is ready. Right. So, you know, I know it doesn't sound like much, four games, but – I mean, next year, that's going to be important. It sure is. It sure well, is. We, we did the math. And, again, I don't look at it as a failure. And four games, I really hope that doesn't make or break, you know, what, his waiver eligibility next year. I don't think it will. You know, I think that's why they made that call uh, before last night's game to get uh, Boquist back uh, – uh, not Boquist um, – um, yeah, Boquist back yeah, up. Boquist back up. Yeah, they, they brought him back up to center of the fourth line. I, I think Beecher's a little bit banged up, so they're trying to give him a little bit of time to kind of get caught up, if you will, and and get back to 100%. And they send um, they send Merkulov back down. I'm not upset by it. And, you know, I, I will say this. I'm thrilled that they kept him at center, regardless of what he was performing at. They kept him in the middle, third line, fourth line, I know people are going to try and shit all over him because of his face-offs, but this entire team right now has been struggling with face-offs. They need a meeting with Patrice Bergeron or something. To, they to need something, to, definitely. To fix that face-off. Uh, but here's my thought. They're still less than halfway through the season, or about halfway through now. I, I, I'm not that worried about it. I'd rather them go through these struggles now so they can work on them and get better at them and be ready for the playoffs with them. Oh, absolutely. The, the 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 problem is when when you're on a road trip like they they are now is you don't get time to work on the things that they need to work on. Um, I will say I've seen a couple of them. Uh, Charlie Coyle, even Pavel Zaka, they've you know when he's drawn in to take a draw for Geeky. Like they've had a couple crucial face-off wins when they've needed them. So it's not like they're not winning any face-offs. It just it seems like they can't win the majority of them for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven games. But to your point, when you can't practice it, I I, I want to see them play through it. I want to see what adjustments they make based off of watching film and just kind of conferring with the coaches and trying new stuff just to kind of see who can kind of work themselves out of the rut when they don't have the ability to practice. Well, I'll, I'll say this, and this is true for Matt Patra and, 
it's true for Makulov. It's even true for for Beecher. Is the three of them are very technically sound in the faceoffs. They are. If you watch their technique and the way they approach faceoff, they're very good. In the case of Merkulov and, and Patra, they lack the strength. Johnny Beecher has the strength, and which is why he's at 50, almost 54% on, on the dot. He will only get better. The, the thing with, uh, with Zaka and, and Coyle and um, Geeky to an extent, they have the strength but they're not as technically sound uh, on the dot. Actually, Coyle was. I don't know what's happened to him lately, but uh, he's changed something in his technique on on, on face-offs. And um, if, if, you, if you watch Coyle earlier in the season, he would always attack the opponent's stick before the puck and now he's he's basically just not concerned about what the other centerman's doing or where his stick is and just concentrating on the puck and I don't know if that's a coaching thing or something he's doing subconsciously himself yeah I mean and to your point there are five players on this team that have taken a hundred or more face-offs or, or have won 100 or more face-offs. Let me rephrase that. Uh, Poitra, who is at 43.9%. Geeky, who's at 44%. And then the big three down the middle of Coyle, Zaka, and Beecher, who are 1, 2, and 3. 51%, 53.2% for both Zaka and Beecher. So, you know, they're also taking a lot of draws as well, which, you know, you got, you got two goaltenders who know how to control the puck and not give up as many rebounds as other goaltenders. So you're going to get a lot of draws, but it, it just, I, I want to see them play through it. I, I'm not trying to make it the end of the world just yet. Um, obviously you want to win those draws, especially the defensive zone ones. But I mean, again, we're halfway through the year. You're going to have lulls in various parts of your game. And last time I checked, they are still one of the top three teams in the entire league when it comes to points. So you have a little bit of leeway because of the, the hot start you came out with. You can have little lulls in your game and have time to fix them and work on them. Yeah. But face-offs are one thing they're going to have to fix soon because this is go going on for, for some time. <clears throat> like Matt Potro is almost 60% on the dot in junior. He didn't just forget how to take face-offs. Um, you, you know, you, you don't forget. Right. With him, it's a strength thing. He's being out-muscled. Um, the other thing this team has to fix is penalties. The number of penalties that they take. Yeah, they're a great PK team, but when you're constantly killing penalties, you're not on the attack. Yeah, and, and that's going to wear down the guys who are supposed to be out there for the six-on-fives in the last, you know, two minutes. The, the Ford final five, if you will. Yeah. The Ford 150 final five. Those guys are already going to be gassed if you keep getting four or five penalties a game because those are the guys that are killing the penalties. 
your exactly. boys, your Lindholms, Carlo. Um, I, I do think we are seeing the effects of not having Derek Forbort out there, which I, I mean, I haven't heard anything or seen anything about when he may or may not return. I know that you've posted a couple times that they have to free up almost a million and a half just to get him off of LTIR when he's healthy. So I think I think he's back after the road trip. After the road trip, you think? Yeah, they they won't activate him during the road trip. Well, that would make sense. Give him a, a few more days, and I do think if I don't even know if I would have him travel with the team, I would just have him stay home. I don't think he is. I think the, the players that played last night boarded the plane immediately after the game. I was going to say that's what I was hearing. Yeah, and and headed out. Um, so. They they won't activate him during the road trip because that means sending that may mean sending two bodies down, which means they've got to fly them back. Yeah. I I would I would expect him to come back at the earliest after the all uh the um the road, road trip, trip going on right now. I almost said the all-star break. That's coming up too soon. Yeah. Um but there is another another player that we have to get to that I don't think you've you've posted about. But you and I had the conversation because we were talking about the Merkulov call up and the roster, kind of the way that it's set up. And we're about two weeks away from learning the fate of Milan Lucic and what goes on the next step of his off ice issues, which we won't dive into those. Just my question to you is. One of two things is going to happen. He's either going to remain on the, the exempt list, whatever stat, you know, he's still on LTIR because they have to reactivate him. But he's going to be eligible for that or he won't be. And the question is, is if he becomes eligible to be reactivated because he's no longer injured and his court stuff gets resolved, we'll say, however it works. Is this a player that you want to have back in the lineup first and foremost? Can he bring something to this lineup like he did before these issues started? Assuming he can, do you want him back? And we'll once we answer those questions, there's there's one other question of the ramifications of not bringing him back or bringing him back. And we'll dive into those after. <clears throat> Wow, you're putting me on the spot, Chris. So I, I'm going to choose. A it's a lot. And yeah. I, I was having a conversation on Puck Off with Devin from the Hockey Writers about the day-to-day the -day decisions of a general manager. This is one of those ones where we've got two weeks. Donnie's, Don Sweeney's got two weeks to have nightmares about this situation, luckily, before he has to make a decision. But it's not going to give him a lot to sleep well on. No. For me, if I'm Don Sweeney, I'll put my GM hat on for for a couple of minutes here. It would all depend on how the situation got resolved vis-a-vis -vis court, okay? If all of a sudden the charges are dropped, then... I want to have a conversation with Lucic's wife. I don't want another uh, Miller fiasco. Yep. Okay. I want a conversation with her one-on-one, -on -one, maybe one-on-two with Cam Neely. 
<clears throat> or maybe two on two with Milan himself involved. And I want to get a feeling as to where everybody is at personally. Forget hockey in their personal lives. Where are they at? Once I'm comfortable with that, if there is no court case and the charges are dropped, then I believe he will be released from the player assistance program, at which point uh, then he has to be activated off of LTIR. As long as he's in player assistance program, he can remain on LTIR. So with the, we'll, we'll put a pin in the further cap ramifications part of that conversation because I am 100% with you on this in the sense that you, you have to show that you've learned from last year's incident we'll call it and show that those things matter. The off ice does matter. Yep. And as bad as it's to say, this is a situation that can really show a positive outcome if it's handled correctly. And to your point, you have to get everybody in the room. You have to have those uncomfortable conversations and you, you really have to go through the the pile of shit that comes along with it and if you do then one of two things happens you can come out better for it both player team organization family all of that stuff or you can come out and just say f all of this cut ties and move on because it's just not gonna go the other way but you really have to have those uncomfortable conversations to figure out can we grow something from a negative? Yeah. And nobody really wants to have the conversation. The, the dilemma the Bruins face is they need Milan Lucic or somebody like Milan Lucic on this team. It is sorely, sorely lacking. And it's kind uh, of funny, though, because without him, they're still fighting for first place in the entire league. Right. But there's a lot of times that they get pushed around, beaten up, and just his presence changes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not just his presence that changes that. When you have a Milan Lucic on your team, everybody plays bigger. That Lucic Beecher Lauko line to start the season was great. was was fantastic. And, and I really think that Lucic gave Lauko uh, an ability to play more physical, play more uh, in your face. and it was working for him. And without Lucic, Lauko is the pillar for that. and I'm not sure he's fully ready to be the pillar that holds up the wall without assistance. No, like I said, everybody plays bigger when you have a Milan Lucic. Um, so those types of players are easy to get at trade deadline. <clears throat> a lot easier than a first-line center. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, hey, right now, <clears throat> like they're getting one in Morgan Geeky because he's playing well. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think uh, they – 
imagine Morgan Geeky as the number one line center when they tra- when they signed him in the offseason. But I mean, right now, uh, between him and some of the other players that are stepping up, which you know that's coming up. Yeah. Um, really, individually, <laughs> if you look at the team individually. Um, is there anybody you can say that you've been disappointed with from start of the season until now? Maybe Matt Grislick. I was going to say, Matt Grislick is the one that really kind of stands out the most on that. Yeah. Um, um, other than that, you're talking about the the Patrick Browns, the Jesper Boquists. Anybody, anybody from David Pasternak on down to Jeremy Swayman. Name, name, name me the players that you've been disappointed with from start to now. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to list five of them. Hampus Lindholm didn't start out great, but he's playing great now. And, Jacob, and I don't expect him to be the offensive juggernaut that he <coughs> last year just because no. it's not his role. But he has been coming on the last half dozen games. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jake DeBrusque, everybody was disappointed with him. But who's disappointed with him now? Well, the other uh, thing is you also have to look at what were you disappointed in the player for? The biggest thing that you were disappointed in DeBrusque for was he wasn't putting the puck in the net. Right. Which but, you needed, but without him putting the puck in the net, you were still a top three team, top five team in the National Hockey League. Yeah. He's, he was doing everything else so well for you. Exactly. So... Um, even Ken, Kevin Shattenkirk, you know, started off slow. Um, I think I can't remember on last night's broadcast, whether it was, uh, Brick that said it, but you know, he came from a team that played man on man coverage to a team that plays his own defense. And that took time to, to get accustomed to. Yeah, they were uh, in an interview that um, Montgomery was talking about that on, and he's kind of... <laughs> yeah, like, who can honestly say they've been disappointed with Danton Hine in this season? Or... Making seven hundred and seventy-five grand, he's a better signing value than Tyler Bertuzzi was. Yeah. So, like, when you break it down like that, you you know, you, you might come up with one or one two other... names. And that's Jacobs Borrell. I, re- <laughs> I really wish that at the beginning of the year, he had been able to grab hold of just a, an ability to show what he had shown in the past before his injuries. And I just, you know, that is disappointing. I was rooting for him to do it. I, I He's the type of guy that I look at and I go, you know, when, when he's moved on from, he'll go somewhere else, probably, you know, probably one of the Chicago's of the world and he'll get bottom pairing minutes at the NHL level. And then you'll sit there and go, okay, maybe in a couple of years, he'll really turn into something, you know, a middle pairing guy or something. Yeah. So there is some disappointment there, but like, I, if you were to ask me to pick the best value contract in the in the National Hockey League. I can put three Bruins on there 
and still not decide which one is is the best value for the Bruins. And that's James Van Riemsdyk, Danton Heinen, and Kevin Shattkirk. 100%. 100%. I, I just, you know, I, I I don't know who's been better. Val- I mean, Van Riemsdyk is bringing exactly what we thought he could to the power play. Right. And in some five-on-five, five, you know, hasn't been outstanding five-on-five, five, but he's also a top nine forward. He's played left side. He's played right side. He's played first, second, and third line. Like, for a million bucks, what else can you ask of the guy? Yeah, exactly. They um, and waited two months just to sign. Can't ask anything more than that. And, they, and he's no. been a staple in the lineup. He's, you know, played up and down, left, right. You know, the pretty much the only thing he hasn't done is play goaltender. Right, because he had a shift on defense in overtime. Yeah, exactly. Literally, the only thing he hasn't done is get between the pipes. And even then, yeah. give him some time and he'll pull his own Blake Wheeler moment. He he, he probably will. Or Roman moment, whichever one you want to go with. And the strange thing is because he took so long to sign, um, Dan Heinen is actually making less than 695000 bucks, Which is amazing for what he's bringing for you. So um, I will say, though, um, two players. I, I, there are two players that are, uh, well, both up after two years. One will be unrestricted. One will be restricted. And I think they're both kind of, for lack of better phrasing, punching above their weight right now. Uh, DP and Frederick? uh Uh-huh. How did you know? Um, Which clue gave it away for you? I I don't know. It was just a lucky guess because... um, The funny thing is, is if you look at Trent Frederick's this season numbers... 38 points, 12 goals, 9 assists, 21 21 points total, right? Last season, that is very similar to what Morgan Geeky put up in Seattle in 69 games. 69 games, he had 19 assists, 9 goals for a total of 28 points. He was averaging about 10 and a half minutes a night, whereas Frederick is averaging about 13 and some change. I think Frederick will beat those numbers. Obviously, there's a lot more time left. But they're they're both they both play a very similar style of game. They're physical. They're both 200 something pounds. They can throw the body around. Have a decent, I, I would say, a decent shot. You know, manageable shot. Yeah. And um, I, I really think that Geeky and Frederick are playing well off of each other on different parts of the lineup. If that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Um... The they both have next season left, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Geeky uh, is a RFA after two after this year and next year, and Frederick is a UFA after next season as well. So it's funny because I was thinking to look at our friends over at Bench Rates, right? So this year Frederick has an actual cap hit of two point three million dollars but they're estimating his overall value to be 3.9. Whereas Geeky, his cap hit is $2 million even, and they're estimating his value right now to be about $3.3 million in value. They're not that far off from each other. No, they're not. 
And it's funny because Frederick shoots left and Geeky shoots right. They can both play the wing either side and they can both play down the middle. I look at these guys and I go, I want them on this team as long as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I can envision in a couple of years a line of Trevor Kuntar, Morgan Geeky, and Trent Frederick. That is a killer third line right there. Yeah. And guess what? All three can take face off, so I'm not worried about that. I would go Frederick on the left, Kuntar in the middle, and Geeky on the right. That's just yeah. what I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, but even still, I mean, if that, that could that could honestly work as a second line because I mean, we've seen what JVR, Coyle, and Frederick can do together. I like that line better than having Coyle in the middle. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's the second line you want to have, not if you're going to have Zaka and Patra as centers as well. But you know, you know, though, Chris, I'm not, I'm not breaking up Brad Marchand, Charlie Coyle, and Jake DeBrusque. I'm leaving those three together for as long as possible. Uh, right now, I'd be hesitant to break up Zaka. Uh, geeky and Pasternak. Yeah. Very hesitant to. So you're left <coughs> with a third line of JBR, Patron, and Frederick. Yep. That's so fair. now you've got a fourth line of Lauco, Beecher, and Heinen. Well, that's the big question. And, and that's some of the stuff that you know, again, where some of those Lucic question marks come into play, the Forbort question marks come into play, because you've got to start worrying about how much cap space you have. And if you have to free up a million dollars and a half just to get Forbort back, assuming you end up having to bring Milan Lucic back to the mix as well, the only way that I see this getting under the cap and having... I don't even want to say your ideal lineup because it really wouldn't be ideal. Uh, you end up sending Lori back down. You end up having to send um, uh, uh, who else? Obviously, Mikulov is already down. Uh, Boquist. Watherspoon is the other one, and Boquist back down. They're so, they're not they're not going to carry six defensemen. That but that, in order to make the money work without <laughs> somebody. That's what you're going to have to do because at, at least, and again, these numbers are according to cap friendly. If you bring Milan Lucic and Derek Forbort off of LTIR and you still have Heinen and you still have Quatra, I mean, you could send Beecher down, I guess, but do you really want to disrupt him off of that four? No, no, absolutely not. Cause he's, he's waiver exempt. He could go down. That's 925 AAV that you could send down. But with Lucic and Heinen as your 13th and 14th forwards, you still have the same two goaltenders, and you have those six defensemen. You have 521,666 in cap space. They've got to move somebody. Yeah. To, to me, I don't like naming names, but I'm going to name a name. The obvious answer to move is Matt Grizzlick. Oh, I'm with agreeance with you on that one. I, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, ship them out and get a bag of pucks for them. I mean, I 
think he still has a lot of value. It's just I'm looking at these numbers and I go, math is math. You you got to move somebody, somebody. You you have to. Um, well, they can make it work with without moving somebody, but then you're left with problems if you have injuries. You've got no yep. cap to maneuver. Um, if somebody's going to miss two games, you can't LTIR them. I guess you can go into an emergency situation and play one game with 19 players, and then you're allowed to call up a league minimum to with no cap hit to get to the 20-man roster. It's it's one of those things where can you do it on paper? Yes, you you can do this on paper. I've done it on paper. You have six defensemen, two goaltenders, uh, full lineup, and two extra forwards. You can do it, but in the reality of it is, is let's say you're on this four game road trip with this lineup, and Forbort gets hurt. Now you got to what fly Watherspoon halfway across the country and hope he can play the same day. Like it just yeah. it, it's not feasible. And if Grizzly goes out, let's let's say you ship Grizzly out on a deal. I like what I've seen from Watherspoon, and I like what I'm seeing this time around from Mason Lorai. Right. You put Lorai as as in your top six and Watherspoon as as your seventh D. Uh you swap Watherspoon in for Lorai when he needs a break. Uh that time management that everybody likes to refer to mm-hmm. and uh you know that's a good seven nhl defense now we'll, we'll be able to after the break we'll talk about some of the things that that you can target with some of the guys we'll we'll, we'll go through and see we'll check off the boxes as to who would you trade who wouldn't you trade out of this organization But first, we'll take a a quick word from our sponsors over at DraftKings. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Bruins got four games this week on the road trip, so definitely get into the action now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. 
All right. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Chris Nozick. This is What's Bruin. I've got Dom Tiano with me, and we are going to dive into the Bruins organization and who they could make available at the trade deadline and maybe a why or why not for some of them. Some of them, I think, are more obvious than others. Um, let's let's start with the top lineup, the top of the lineup and work our way down, because I think that's the quickest way to go about it. Zaka, Geeky, Pasternak. None of them are going anywhere. Pretty safe no. to say, I would say. Not, it, let's just assume that the standings finish the way they are right now. No, I'm not trading any of those three. No, I, I think the one name that in the next year or two you may see come up in discussions might be Morgan Geeky, just because he has a lot of value and he's playing his way into more. And you may not want to pay what he will want come his RFA season after next year. But for this year and next year, you've got him for two million bucks. Use him. There's no yep. need to trade him until you have to. So exactly. Uh Marshan coiled the brusque. Not trading them. See, I sit there and I go, I'm not moving coil and I'm not moving Marshan. Debrusque, I will at least listen to. I I understand the hesitation to move on from him. But with how streaky he can be, I'm not hanging up the phone. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't hang up the phone on any of them. True. Uh, you know, if, if I'm doing my job. But I'm I'm not looking to trade Jake DeBrusque uh, simply because of his contract situation. I, I'm curious to know where they're at with discussions on an extension. Because if he's still at six plus, I'm gonna sit there and say not not right now. And, and if they're not looking to budge him and his team, I'm more apt to make a deal because I know I can't get him back, and I don't want to lose him for nothing. If there's a team that's willing to, you know, give me a combination of a prospect, a high, uh, you know second, third round draft pick or, you know, something that might actually be able to help my team this year. You know, we were talking about if if Leech, Lucic doesn't come back, you need that kind of guy in the locker room. You know, DeBrusque is a piece that can help you make a hockey trade to get someone like that and somebody else who can help you and, you know, money out to bring in some players. Um. Yeah, but you you got to think too that you have to be willing. You have to find a team that be willing to pay Jake DeBrusque what he's asking for. Now, every team will have a set number as to what they would pay him. But if he's he's looking for more than that, I'm not paying the price to acquire him. I'm going to offer you a little less. So um, I, I just think that the value that they'll get back for Jake DeBrusque in a trade, it's not going to be worth it for them. It's better that they they take it to July 1st and try and hammer out a deal. I, I lean that way as well. Um, I just, I don't know. Like if, if, including Jake DeBrusque in a package is the reason why I'm quote unquote overpaying 
but I'm getting a few pieces in return that make sense. I'm not sure I can say no to it simply because the extra 300 something thousand dollars that I'll get by moving DeBrusque over Grizzlick can be helpful in cap space. Um, yeah, I personally, I think they get a deal done. I, I, I really do. I, in the off season, you mean? Oh, no, they'll, they'll get it done before July 1st, whether that's, uh, you know, next week or in two months remains to be seen. Um, I, I can't remember what it was, the dates, but Don Sweeney has only signed two players immediately following the World Juniors, and that was Pavel Zaka on, I think, was January the 11th, and the other one was January 14th, and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. So I I think that in the coming weeks, negotiations with... Uh, with DeBrusque will pick up and uh, then we'll see the two sides. will know where the other stands. And uh, I don't think Jake wants out. He's generally happy in Boston. And uh, I think he wants to stay there. Now, if you move on to JBR, Matt Patra and Trent Frederick, I'm not moving any of those three at trade deadline. Absolutely not. I think they each bring their own thing to the team. Uh, Patra is part of the future, a long future in Boston. And JBR is JBR. He's playing for a contract next year, and he's going to get paid somewhere. Um, But I wouldn't move him. He's just been too valuable to this team. And like I said earlier, one of the – best contracts uh, in the NHL. Just need your thoughts on it. JVR, Quatra, Frederick. I, I'm not, I'm not doing anything with those guys. Um, J, JVR. I mean, I, I could be talked into for the right value ad just because he is proving that he can be something for a team that thinks they can win now. But I, I feel like that would disrupt more than it would bring in. A million bucks isn't worth it for me to uh, to ship that guy out the door for cash no. So uh, he's the only one that I sit there and go, well, maybe, but it's really got to be the right maybe. Yeah. Um, Lauko Beecher Steen. Honestly, if I had to, sh- if I had to do anything with one of those three guys, I would end up just saying, "Hey, Beecher." Um, this isn't anything against your play. We need some extra cap space. So we're going to send you back down to Providence. This is literally just because of money. Keep doing what you're doing and you'll be back up as soon as we can get you back up here. Yeah. And uh, let's not forget Danton, Danton Heinen there either. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'd be hesitant to, to send Beecher down after. I don't want to. I, I don't want yeah. to. I'm just saying, if I need the money that bad, that's the conversation I'm having with him. Yeah, he's the one that can go down. That that's the only reason why. Um, 
obviously you lost AJ Greer to Calgary through waivers. You're not going to keep, you're not going to sneak Oscar Steen down there. You're not going to sneak Jacob Lauco down there. Like those are two guys that I, I guarantee you 31 other GMs have notifications on their phone that if those guys hit a uh, waiver wire, they're putting a claim in. They're and especially Lauco. Cause you know, he's still oh. young enough to, to, uh, to do something, but I mean, Steen's you, not old either. Well, Steen's Steen will be twenty six, right? Uh, that sounds right. But that's, I mean, that's still not young. Or that not old. He's no. still fairly young. And trust me, I would take a twenty eight year old who's making eight hundred k, who's you know still trying to cl- crack the lineup. Uh, uh, you know, who's got a little bit of lineup versatility, center, wing, bottom. You know six kind of guy i mean yeah i guess you could elevate him to a third line if you're like a chicago or a san jose or someone like that just to see what he can do with more minutes but i mean again my point being is his teams are going to want him so if you're gonna wave the guy trade the guy yeah yeah i mean I, i i think the money has to the money has to come from the defense uh, I mean, we know McAvoy's not going anywhere. Uh, Lindholm's not going anywhere. Carlo's not going anywhere. We already talked about Grizzlick. Uh, Waterspoon isn't going to bring you much. Shattenkirk, yeah, uh, he could go to a contender at trade deadline that needs help on defense or, or, or has an injury. Um, I still... I, Kevin Shattenkirk and go, I'm not dealing him right now. I wouldn't deal him either. I, uh, I'm barely listening for him. And the reason why is because I look at him for this defense, what Nick Felino brought last year for the offense. For yeah. The grouping, you know, it, and they didn't have that at all last year. When your most veteran guy is Brandon Carlo, like, okay, Derek Forbert, fine, but Derek Forbert's not the kind like he's never been a top pair top four defenseman so like he doesn't have that clout in the locker room at least kevin shattenkirk has been on cup runs i think he has a cup to his name doesn't he yeah he does i personally i would be interested in bringing shattenkirk back for another year i would too i would too i wouldn't go higher than maybe two million bucks on him no but but I would do a two for two for him. I don't know that I'd want to go two years, you know, but then again, there isn't much in the system on the, in the right defense that. Was it Riley Walsh that you were, that you did a piece on, on his defense not too long ago? No, Jonathan Mirenberg. No, 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 no. Someone in Providence, um, you had done a piece on how he had gotten defensively defensive. Like he's a defensive defenseman. Oh, Mike Callahan. Was it Callahan? No. Yeah, it had to be. I'm going to have to look up your own article now, Tom. Pretty sure it was um, Riley Walsh. No, Ryan Walsh, you mean. He's a forward, so. Um, Let's see. Sneaky good pickup. That's not your piece. I saw it come through my Twitter feed, too. And I remember looking at it. Dom, you tweet too much. 
It's either Callahan or it's uh, Alex Agula. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, it was. I don't know why I was thinking it was Walsh. It was Alec Regula. So, talking about how because they, they brought him in in the Taylor Hall trade, right? So the question that I have for you is: Is Alec Regula someone that you can look at on the right side as a as a Shattenkirk replacement in the next? let's say year or two, or would he be more of what Watherspoon is right now? He next year, he would be more of what Watherspoon is right now. I know when, <laughs> when I wrote that some people commented about, uh, you know, that I've gone overboard with, uh, by calling him, uh, um, I forget the exact term I used, a defensive uh, juggernaut. And, you know, some people were curious asking about stats. You know what? There's nobody out there does advanced stats for the American Hockey League. Nobody. And you've been credentialed now, Chris, by some teams. And I'm sure that if you ask nicely, you can get them from the teams themselves. I kiss a lot of ass, so I have access to them. Unfortunately, you will find out you're not allowed to share them. And you don't want to piss these guys off by sharing information that they don't want you to share. So, um, yeah, his metrics are good. His, uh, his numbers are good. His uh, plus minus, everybody laughs at plus minus, but... Look at his plus minus compared to everybody else on the team. I think I, I, I understand both sides of the plus minus argument. And, and, and it's funny that you mentioned the plus minus. <coughs> I, context matters when it's plus minus. And that's why for me, plus minus in anything less than a 25 game sample is practically useless in my yep. opinion. You're right. And, over 25 games it gives you a, a a a general idea keywords are general idea do good things happen when this player is on the ice or do bad things happen when this player is on the ice whether if it's a plus 150 then you have Wayne Gretzky out there and you have a lot less to worry about if it's plus 5 that means there's Marty some, McSorley. Yeah, there's some good, there's some bad, and it's going to be a bumpy ride. If, if it's a plus 30 and it's a 50-game sample, okay, you're pushing more of a JVR type. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not fantastic, but he's going to give you some solid defense, but goals will be given up, and then he'll get some. So, like, again, is do you have – no, JVR is not a plus 30 on, on a 50-game stretch. but. If he gets hot, he could be. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it, it gives you a ballpark, is my point. But for a defenseman to have a solid plus-minus in the American Hockey League, it's a good thing. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, um, I'm not... He I'm had... Not, he, he had some offensive ability in junior. Um, 
<coughs> that much I know. Uh, because I watched him a lot with the London Knights. Uh, um, when all eyes were on uh, Evan Bouchard, um, you know, at the same time, people got to see Regula play. And it, it was almost by accident because they weren't there to watch him. Um, so I don't have the stats in front of me and they... Uh, Providence played today, but uh, isn't he like at 10 points in 30 games or, or something for Regula? I had to pull up the right window, but I did have some <coughs> AHL stats up from earlier today. Uh, let me just try and pull him back up. So he was 10 points in, in whatever number of games, 30 games, approaching 30. And, uh, you know, was a plus 26. That's pretty good. If he's only got 10 points and he's a plus 26. Let's see. Uh, Regula is. Before today, he was at 10 points in 31 games and a plus 25. I just looked yeah, it up. 11 points, 32 <laughs> games, plus 26. And 16 penalty minutes. And he's got 41 shots. Two goals. Yeah. So that's, that's the next, but to put that in perspective, though, the next closest in plus minus is Dan Renouf at plus 19. Right. Who's got 40 yeah. penalty minutes, by the way. 40. Yeah. So. You you look at Regula, okay, plus twenty six in thirty one games. That means he's a plus in just about every game. When you're when you when you're a, things happen when he's on the ice. Yeah. So if you're a, if your plus minus is equal to your games played, you're a positive player every game. Every game. Yeah. I mean, or maybe the better way to put it is bad things don't happen when he's on the ice. That That's probably a better way to put it than good things happen because that doesn't mean he, there's a, a point every time he's on the ice, but what it means is 90% of the time when he's on the ice, the other team's not scoring. Right. And and that's what you want from your defenseman. Um, you know, and, and that's not bad for a 2018 draft kid, uh, from the third round, he was drafted by Detroit. So, you know, you're, you're getting to a, a point where he's a little bit older, but I mean, I, we always talk about it. Players develop at different rates. It's not the end of the world. And if this guy can break into your lineup net, was it, it was a one-year deal that he signed, right? Yeah. So he's got, he's still going to be an RFA, I believe. So if you can get him again on a qualifying offer or, you know, a, a league minimum deal, less than a million bucks, we'll say. If he's your Derek Forbort slash Matt Grizzlick seventh defenseman replacement, that's not bad. No, no. And, and I will say this, the Bruins... 
when the Bruins insisted he was part of the trade for for uh, Taylor, Taylor Hall. Hall and Nick Nick Foligno, uh, they wanted him, and part of the reason is that they lacked depth on the right side and defense. They really had nobody other than Ryan Mast and and uh, Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. Yeah, they were pretty low on right shot defensemen yeah. coming into the season overall across their roster. Right. So that 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 is the guy they targeted. And and I know that Chicago really didn't want to give him up because uh Chicago acquired him from Detroit and Jim McKellar, who is their head Canadian scout, was his general manager in London with the London Knights. So he 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 knew what Regula was capable of, but um, you know, so he the Bruins insisted he was one of the pieces that that the Hawks sent back. Yeah, and, and obviously, looking ahead to next season is is getting a bit ahead of ourselves because you know, I mean, you clearly approach next season very very different based on how this year finishes, right? If, if you win the cup, there are guys that you don't have to worry about bringing back, you know, and, and Jake DeBrusque is, is a huge name on that one. If you let Jake DeBrusque walk, but you've walked away with a Stanley cup, no one cares. Exactly. No one cares if you bring them back either. Well, well, hold on. These are Bruins fans. So some they, might care. Some will care. Well, people are going to care regardless. Yeah. But if at the end of the day, you're holding hoisting the cup, they're going to care a hell of a lot less. Oh, DeBrusque is gone. Who cares? We got our cup. Didn't want him anyway. Oh, yeah. you brought him back. He helped us win a cup. Yay, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. They're going to form their opinion as to whether or not you have the cup in your hand or not. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like Danton Heinen, I'd love to bring him back. But at whose expense? Oscar Steen, I like what I see from him, but he's also one that, depending on what I can get for him, he's not crucial to the lineup even this year. Like, Oscar Steen is one that, if I have to, if I need to include him to entice a deal, you know, I'm packaging him with Grizzlick to, to make something happen. I do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. I do it. I would do it in a heartbeat because you, Lauko Beecher Steen, Lauko Beecher Heinen. There's not enough of a drop off for me to complain about it. No, not uh, actual fact. You might be better off with Lauko Beecher Heinen. And I get it. That means your next step is probably Lauko Beecher Brown. Like if something goes wrong, Brown's probably the next guy that's filling in. But like Boquist looked pretty good against Tampa Bay. Not going to lie. He looked okay. He looked okay, yeah. Um, you still have McLaughlin down there, Merkulov. Like, you can always bring him back up if you really need another forward who can try and do – I wouldn't put him on the fourth line, but that's where you can shift a guy like Morgan Geeky around. Or, you know, it depends on what happens with Milan Lucic and, and all the other what-ifs that we've been talking about. There, There's just enough – like, Fourth line, right, left wing. I can fix that. <laughs> a lot easier than you can fix 
the upper portion of the lineup. Sorry, Trent. You're going back down to the fourth line to fill in that spot. Jake, you're going to bump down a level. We got Lysel that we can call up. Like, there's there's a lot of juggling that can go on. Yep. Oscar Keen is not the Jenga block that makes the tower fall. Exactly. Exactly. And Or as I like to say, as I like to say, he's got nothing to do with the cosmic relevance of the figure eight. <laughs> That's another good way of putting it. So, um... Obviously, always a lot to, to continue to go over here. Uh, the defense, you know, we're going to have a lot to, to see. I like, as I mentioned before, what I've seen from Mason Lorai this second time around. Um, do you, depending on what happens when Forbort is ready to come back, let's say he comes back after the break or after the, the road trip. Are you sending Lorai back down for further development and and whatnot or are you at a point now where you've seen enough from lori he's got to grow and stay with the big club to do it okay um i've seen enough that as far as i'm concerned he stays but i also know that the temporary fix to the cap crunch may include sending him down for a week or two or three until I can get my book and my books in order. That, and, and that's the thing is, is the, the cap crunch is, is coming. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but I think it's what's the 19th for Lucic's hearing. Yeah. So you'll have some decisions to make on that. That's a week from this coming Friday. So you got about, uh, what is that? seven about 14 days yeah that's the first that's the next major decision obviously between now and then you've got some games but i think day to day you're gonna see the same thing i mean it, yeah it, can you see this team uh, I, I i have you heard anything on forward's injury let me start with that question uh the only thing that i've heard is montgomery said uh it's not a day-to-day thing. It's a week thing. Okay. So is, is it possible that we don't get anything done with with uh, the forward situation until we know what happens with the Lucic situation? No. I, I think once they're back from the road trip, uh, then that's when, when Forbert will be activated. Now, he is skating. Okay. He was out. He was out skating uh, before practice the other day, along with uh, with Mason Lorai. Oh, after he got the, the whole teeth situation, yeah. taken care of. Okay, um, it, is he in a contact jersey, non-contact jersey? No, it wasn't with. The, he was just out, but with him and Lorai, just the two of them. It was a lower body injury for him, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I will say that depending on what goes on with that situation, you do have some lower cap hit guys who you can call up to fill in. Like even Dan Renault for a day isn't going to cripple this team if you need to do some sort of cap crunch on the defense and get a lower AAV in there somehow. But I don't know if Renouf is um, able to go through waivers or would he, you know, is he waiver exempt or no? He's he's already cleared waivers once so um 
it's 30 cumulative days or 10 games uh, before he would require waivers again. Now, he's played one NHL game this year. Or he yeah. was called called up once. Did he actually play? I can't remember. Um, I don't know. I, so I mean, he, you've got he, your water spoons as well. Like, uh, let's see. This year, <laughs> one so the, and he's a minus three. Yeah, so they could bring him up for nine games and, and not right. require waivers. Uh, that game he played was on... Oh, it's not even listed on here anymore. Not on hockey reference. So he's got one one game played this year and it's not even really listed. So Yeah, it was really early in this in the season. I mean so, I, I'm saying I would call him up, but like Watherspoon, obviously Lori. Um, you know, at at, <laughs> at this point you've already put Sboro on waivers and he's cleared, so you know he's gonna get back through. So yeah. For one game, if you're if you're tied up on defense because you got to get Forbort back in or something, there's there's some options. But I, I, one thing that we've talked about that makes Sweeney and Gold so good at this is they prepare and they leave options on the table. Yeah, yeah, so, never a doubt, never uh, a doubt. So I'm not worried about it, and and that's why I'm. I'm still baffled by the people who want to fire this crew in the front office. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's baffling to me, but um, I got the exact numbers here. So perfect. Based on the roster as it was yesterday with, um, against Tampa. So they need to get to 83,418,500 bucks in cap or as a cap hit uh, in order to bank cap space. And the reason why that's below the upper cap limit of 83.5 million is because that's what their cap hit was when they placed Milan Lucic on LTIR. So that's the actual that's the actual number they have to get to. What was it? For the of uh, 83,418,503. Okay. That's the day Milan Lucic went on LTIR which means that's what they have to get below before they start banking cap space, which means, and I've calculated the cap daily based on what the roster was yesterday against Tampa. They have to clear 1,554,219 to get to the point where they're banking cap space. Now, what's the minimum for just getting forward off of LTIR? Now, they've used uh, 1.5 million in LTIR space. Uh, so to get him, to activate him, they have to clear 
$1,472,722. And that is in AAV, correct? Correct. So the question is, is what's, what is, because right now you've got, um, what's Boquist, Boquist, Lorai and Waterspoon going down. Boquist is 775. Well, um, Waterspoon is 775 and Lorai is 925. Boquist is going to be, and I'll give you the actual numbers here. Bolquist will be $444,010 because he's already spent time in the AHL. So that has never counted as cap space. So it was $44,000? $444,010. Okay. Lori would be $727,474. Okay. And Waterspoon would be five hundred and twenty-eight thousand seven hundred and seventy-five dollars. This is the math portion of the program. Yeah, that's the cap space that they would clear by sending them down now because they've all already spent time in the AHL, so there was no cap hit. And they've spent time in the NHL, and that cap hit won't disappear. That's already on the books. But the, but those it's going to cost you those three guys to clear enough just to get Derek Forbort back. So yeah. once you do that, you are riding with six defensemen at that point, which this team does not want to do. Right. And nor do we want them to, by the way. Like that that part needs to be stated as well. We don't want them carrying only six defensemen because it just doesn't make sense for them. So um, let's see. Going from there. You now have to figure out what you're going to do because you have, you might need to clear another how much for Milan Lucic? Oh, it'd be pennies for Lucic. Okay. It, it won't. It won't be much. You still have to clear the money. Yeah, it less than a hundred thousand bucks. Is what's the best way to accumulate that though? Well, they they already would have done it because. They'll be out of long-term injury reserve. Oh, I got so, you. I got so you. you're, you're clearing. You're you're clearing Waterspoon at five hundred twenty-eight thousand. Lorroy at seven twenty-seven is. Um, there 1. will be enough. Point two five and Bolquist at four forty-four is one point six million. So there you're, will be enough to clear both. For, uh, uh, Forbor and Lucic, if necessary, yeah. based off of those three guys. Okay. So, but it, it still doesn't resolve the problem of only having six defensemen. Now, the question becomes because you have the full no movement clause in the Milan Lucic contract. So, now if you don't want him to come back, he either A has to stay in the player's assistance program, which would probably really only happen if the court kind of continues the case right he can't sign himself out he can only be released by he can't say i don't want to be in the program anymore he has to be released by the player assistance program now is that pause if the if the charges are dropped 
can he still remain in the player's assistance program? Or would they just release him from the program and say, either check yourself in to the program yourself, a la, you know, a Spencer Knight or (laughs) some of the other guys who have done it? uh, Or is it just going to be he's out of the program, Bruins, you have to make a decision? Um, That could go either way. Um, You know, there's lawyers involved. Uh, they they could come up with an agreement to say drop. This is just a far fetched example. They say, okay, we'll drop the charges, but you have to stay in the program. Um, you have to seek alternative counseling, uh, so on and so forth. We, we, there's so many unknowns. What would so here's the one that I think a lot of fans are going to jump to terminate him, get rid of his contract, whatever you got to do, cut him from the team contract termination penalties. Well, it, I, I think it's a little easier to, to calculate because he's only on a $1 million contract. But again, since we're in the math portion of the program, what would those penalties look like if they were to put him on waivers for purposes of contract termination Lucic would have to agree to it, would he not? Yeah, they they can't. First of all, according to the collective bargaining agreement, a player on a no-move clause cannot be placed on waivers. Okay? Um, A person who is on LTIR cannot be bought out. Um... There's one other one I'm I'm forgetting. Now, Lucic can agree to go on unconditional waivers for the purpose of contract termination. Um, no, he he can he can agree to waive going on waivers and go right to contract termination. Okay, so he would uh, take waivers altogether. Yeah. Okay. It would just be, hey, Milan, we want to terminate your contract. And he would say, okay, where do I sign? Yeah. And then no waiver process, no nothing. He's a free agent again. Right. What? Because he's making a million dollars against the cap when he's not on LTIR, when he's not in the player's assistance program. One, does he have to leave the program or come off of LTIR? to waive that status? Yes. So they have to do paper transactions for a day, get him on the roster again, and then he can waive and be let go. Yeah. My understanding is while he's in the player's assistance program, Bruins can't do anything. They can't touch him. Which makes sense because then as soon as players enter the program, teams would be cutting players every time. Right. And and it just it's not fair to the player if you're trying to to fix yourself in an off ice issue, trying to get the help that you need, and, and then all of a sudden you just lose your job. That's just not the right. point of the program. So, um, at least in my opinion, I think the best option, regardless of what happens, is for Milan to say, "I need to stay in the program. I need to continue to work on things, regardless of what happens with the legal side of things." the best bet for the Bruins is he stays in the program for the whole season. And right. Because if they, um, the, 
if they terminate the, I'm not sure that terminate would be the the right phrase here. It might have to be a buyout, and then you're looking at a six hundred and sixty seven thousand dollar cap hit anyway. And then there's don't forget Milan Lucic had uh, a five hundred thousand dollar performance bonus. Now, what happens, what what are the cap ramifications to a bonus like that if he's not able to hit it for the purposes that he's not currently able to hit it for? A little bit different I, if he just doesn't hit the bonus. I, I think Lucic's bonus was $500,000 for playing in 10 games. Oof. Yeah, he hasn't gone so, that far he had, he had four. He played four, right? I, I think a reasonable argument could be made that he would have easily played 10 games this season. I, I would say so. I, I feel yeah. like that was the plan. <laughs> but you, can, you, can't, you can't base it on what ifs. Uh, I, I think, personally, I think Milan Lucic has too much respect for Cam Neely. Uh, and that if Neely were to say to him, hey, Milan, you know, let's, let's say he comes out of player assistance and stuff, says we want to terminate your contract, then Lucic will be up for that. As much as he wanted to come back to Boston, I, th- I think that he has too much respect to, for Cam Neely not to. He he also just based off of what we've seen from him, he's not enough of an idiot to not realize he fucked up. He knows that. And so if the Bruins came to him and said, We want to terminate your contract, he's not gonna sit there and be like, Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Like he knows it comes with the territory. He's he knows Boston well enough to know that if you know if the team says we feel like you crossed the line that we just cannot have you around, he's going to sit there and go, yep, I, I did that. Yeah. And like how let's say they figure out a way to get him back. <laughs> let's say everything works. I don't think it will. I think he's done. But how are Bruins fans going to react to that, Chris? I think you'll get a mixed bag. Um, I think everybody's off-the-cuff reaction will be based off of what we know of how they handled last year's situation with Miller. If they're, They need to also be very forthcoming, both Milan and the organization. And unfortunately, his family as well. They're going to have to come out and say, we had conversations. We, you know, we're all on the same page as far as what happened. We're on page as the next steps. His wife, unfortunately, is going to have to, you know, be a little bit out there as well. She's going to have to have some exposure to say that, yes, the organization talked to me about it. I'm on the same page with them. Like, there's going to be a lot of, lawyers reading through statements and but those those statements have to come out if they want it to go well is it worth milan lucic putting his family through that 
for what could turn out to be four months of hockey before he retires anyway? Only his wife can answer that. Ultimately, only because only he, I mean, even then, I mean, from, again, just reading what was going on, if he was drunk enough the night of the incident, really only his wife knows what actually happened. He may have thoughts of what he thinks happened. We, uh, you know, I, I, I think we've all had nights where we've gone out and we think we remember something and then, you know, turns out it didn't happen the way we thought it did because yeah. alcohol was involved. Maybe not to this extent, but the general idea. And, um, you know, obviously something happened that the Massachusetts DA went forth with charges regardless. So something happened. It's just a matter of where does Milan's wife fall on what happened? How does she feel about how he's dealing with it? How much support has the organization provided for her? Where is she at mentally with everything? Because she's also got to think about their kids. Yeah, first and foremost. Kids are resilient. I don't recall the age of their children, but I'm pretty sure they're fairly young. Yeah. So kids are resilient. They're probably not of the age, again, based off of my recollection of how old they are, where they're going to remember everything. Problem is, is it's all going to end up on the internet. Yeah. And so that's what she has to think about. Not tomorrow, but a year, you know, six years from now when they're searching the web and they Google search daddy's name, what is going to come up? And, you know, can good come from it? Sure. Is that where her mind is at, though? Because to your point, if it's only going to be four or five months of hockey, you know, maybe not. Maybe she just says, stay in the program and we'll we'll move on from this outside of the spotlight because you can retire after the season. And then as a family, they get help and whatever outside of the limelight of the National Hockey League. Yeah. But that, that really has to come from her. Oh, absolutely. That's why I think, you know, if, like I said earlier, if I was Don Sweetie, my first conversation is is with her. Um, I honestly don't think he'll be back. I, I, you know, a lot of people like to pretend they know the facts of the case, but really we don't. And until it does go to court and it becomes public, uh, we won't know. And so I'm not going to speculate on anything like that, but I, I know the Bruins are, um, for a lack of a better term, very upset that, that this has, has happened. They were counting on him, uh, you know, disappointed is another word that comes to mind. Um, and after the Miller fiasco of a, of a year ago, the independent uh, investigation and so on and so forth, they really didn't want this. No. They really didn't want this. And um, I think because it is Milan Lucic that there wasn't a, 
uh, greater reaction or a stronger reaction from Bruins fans as there might have been if it was, um, let's say, as an example, Trent Frederick. Yeah. I I think what, you know, to your point, lots of lawyers involved, and there's still a couple of weeks until it all even comes to the courtroom. Um, I, I think a realistic way for it to play out Charges or not, regardless, I think Milan stays in the player assistant program till the end of the season. Uh, I think that is what both the the organization and the, the NHL are going to want out of this because at the end of the day, he still also represents the National Hockey League and they don't want this as a, as a continual thing. Hell, no, if they, they do our podcast, they'd crush us for spending an hour on it. So they want it to go away. The Bruins want it to go away. I'm sure Milan and his family want it to go away. And the best way for that to happen is for him to stay in the player assistance program, not become roster news worthy for the organization. And then at the end of the year, they can ride off into the sunset. He retires. I mean, at that point, you know, if, if, it's announced that he's gotten help and the family puts out a statement of this and that and all that stuff, then they can have him back for some of the celebratory events of the 2011 team. And things will have been calmed down quite a bit. Yeah. And it, it's funny you mentioned the NHL because if you go back to the Slava Voinov situation back in, was it 2015? I can't remember now. The NHL came down hard and fast. Uh, very hard and very fast. Um, even there was the Miller incident. There was also the incident earlier this year with the, uh, he's in Russia now, uh, from Arizona. Oh, uh, the, Alex Galchenyuk. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the Galchenyuk incident. He went into the yeah. player program and he said, deuces, I'm playing in Russia now. Yeah. So um, even with with Miller last year, the NHL came hard at, at that. But yep. have we heard a peep from the NHL on the Lucic situation? Have we no. heard from Gary Bettman? Have we heard from Bill Daly? No. No, they don't want to keep it that way. They, they don't want to get dragged into it. So, um, I mean, we we can continue to talk about the the ramifications on the roster and, and all that, the cap. Uh, that That is something that I, I drool over. But um, and anything else that you can think of? We're, we're about an hour and a half into the episode, and we've done a lot of math. But is there anything that you can think of that we haven't gone over yet in the immediacy for this Bruins organization. Um, real quick, <coughs> uh, Jeremy Swayman is now eligible to sign a contract extension. Oh he yeah. On, he was on January 1st. Um, 
somebody told me that I've been quoted as saying he was going to make $9 million a year. Uh, that sounds I like where, what I would have said. Uh, I don't know where that came from because I never said that. No, that, that's uh, not the number I would have thrown out there. <clears throat> what do you think the number comes in at? Oh, it's funny because I, as you mentioned that, I was just pulling up. I'm trying to pull up a list of the active goaltenders and their AAVs and stuff as of right now. Um, I'm literally just trying to sort it by goaltender. Just to kind of see, because right now he is arguably up there with, as far as performance level, the the Hellebucks, the, the Sorokins, the, the Soros, you know, he's up there right now this year with those guys. And last year was not that much of a drop from what he's doing this year. So it's not a giant step that he's taken. So he's proven that he can compete with the best of them, but he's not, he's not the 60 game workhorse that Connor Hellebuck is right now. Can he be, he hasn't proven that he can't be either. The Bruins have a situation where he doesn't have to be. I'm sorry, but Linus Olmark and Laurent Brassois, there's a big difference. Yeah. So the question is, where do you put him in relative to other goaltenders? That's what I'm curious to hear from you about. I put him in the tier after Sorokin, after Hellebuck, simply because... Um, he, he's not the workhorse as, as you said it now <clears throat> to me, that means a short term deal. One, maybe two years until, um, all Mark is gone and he becomes that workhorse and then he'll get the Connor Hellebuck uh, type money. Okay. Um, I, so looking at the 24-25 season, your top paid goaltenders, because that's where some new deals kick in, etc. Your Your top 10 goaltenders are Carey Price, who's injured, 10.5. This is their cap hit. Uh, I'm going to go off their cap hit because ultimately that's what matters is what's the AAV yeah. going to be. None of us really give a shit if it's a bonus or not. Right. We care how it affects the cap. Sergei Bobrovsky at 10 mil. Andre Vasilevsky at 9.5. Connor Hellebuck at 8.5. Ilya Sorokin at 8.25. And then Gibson at 6.4. Markstrom and Bennington at 6, 6 million even. I think he could come in close to the six mark. Yeah, but I, and here's here's three or four de four year deal. He, well, here's how I would sell it to him. And whether we like to admit it or not, this is how negotiations work. You don't go in with your best offer right off the bat. No. So. I, I approach Jeremy like this. <clears throat> so, Jeremy, we'll pay you in the tier that puts you at 6 to $6.5 million for one season. 
Um, Linus's contract is done after that. You'll be the unquestioned number one. And then we'll pay you like the top tier goalies. And I'm not talking Carey Price or Sergei Brobrovsky. I'm talking in and a half. Yeah, I'm talking like the Hellebuck to Vasilevsky range, somewhere in there. And the way I sell it to him is, is, look, Jeremy, you're a restricted free agent. You're arbitration eligible. We could do the arbitration thing all over again. And you won't get that $6.5 million just based on the number of games you've played. Right. So let's give you that little bit extra this year for one year until Linus is gone, and then we'll pay you full market value. You're actually getting more than market value this year on a one-year deal. Yeah, I I think – so right now, the AAV of Robin Lehner, Linus Allmark, UC Soros, Thatcher Demko, Cal Pedersen, and Jack Campbell, they're all $5 AAV. Now, of that group, Soros and Demko are the only two that don't have any form of modified no-trade clause. I lean Swayman closer to Soros and Demko than anybody else on that list. Yep. But he's better than all of them. So he's got to be north of 5 AAV because he's better than all six of those guys. Well, you can make an argument for Demko. Maybe Soros, but Soros, Demko, Swayman, pick your order is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, And then above that, like at 5-4, Elvis Merzlikens, 5-6, Igor Shosturkin. Now we're getting closer with Shosturkin to the guys that Swayman is, is approaching. The two guys, AAV, who are six mil this year are Jordan Bennington and Jacob Markstrom. Like there's there's some argument for Swayman's side as well based off of who's making what, but yeah, at the end of the day that that leg is kicked out by the restricted free agency value. Yeah. So I I think I mean if it was me, just given his age, I would try to do a three by six and a half just to lock him in for a couple years because in three years the, the sell to that is in three years your value could be eight and a half nine if you can prove that you are a the the number one guy which if you can prove you are our next Tuka Rask workhorse goaltender he gets nine and a half in three years easily yeah especially with the way the cap's gonna go I mean they're there's a number of ways they can they can approach it and sell it to them. The, the thing is, is they can't be dicks about it. No, no. I think they, last year they kind of used up their dickery value in uh, yeah. going arbitration. Yeah. So, you know. Um, and all the people uh, who are chanting to trade a goaltender, like, again, this isn't the year to do it, but – Next year, Linus Olmar can still bring you something on the trade block. Like, yeah. you, go at it, you go at it this year. Like, what is this team, if they're going to make a deep run in the playoffs, they're going to do it on the back of defense, goaltending, 
high-end scores, Pasternak, Marshan, and the hope that you get something from your Trent Fredericks, Morgan Geeky, Jake DeBrusque. You hope Jake DeBrusque is on a hot streak going into the playoffs. He's been a good playoff performer, so a little less worried about that. But uh, Zaka, some scoring from those guys. But you're hoping to win your games three to two, four to two, three to one, because you're goaltending and defense. You cannot trade a goaltender who's part of that. Now, next year, he becomes even more valuable on the trade market because his total salary drops by a million and a half. He's only making four and a half of actual cash. Yeah. So, and then it, once you pay out his signing bonus at the beginning of the season, he's only going to be owed 3.5 in actual cash. Teams will trade for that guy. Sure they will. So, at that point, he has a 15-team no-trade list. So, you are working with almost half the league. You have a different parameter for what those 15 teams might look like. And you can get something for him. Now is not the time to, to, to deal no, with I'm I'm so tired of the trade Allmark now uh, conversations. Even next year. Like, they I'm have not so... They I'm not so much next year either. I'm just saying of the years to do it, this isn't the year. <laughs> next year would be. No, and I don't think next year is either. Uh, look, cap space is only valuable if you use it. Yeah, right. Okay. The Bruins have so much cap space next year that if they were tr to trade Allmark just for the sake of cap space, I can guarantee you the Bruins will not reach the upper limit of the cap next year. I, I guarantee it. I wouldn't be moving him for the purposes of cap space. I would be moving him for the purposes of, you know what? Improving the team. Improving the team, gaining some draft assets, something to that effect. Okay. Bringing in but another piece. I don't know that that – I don't know who – Linus Allmark could bring in in a trade that would make the Bruins better without him than with him. Well, next year, um, as of right now, you're also losing Jake DeBrusque, James Van Riemsdyk, Oscar Steen is going to be an RFA, Boquist will be an <laughs> Yes, but Boquist is an RFA next year? Wow. Yep. Uh, Danton Heinen, and then you are going to need to replace uh, Waterspoon's an RFA on the back end. UFAs, Grizzly, and Shattenkirk, and um, Derek Forbort, and obviously Lucic, the aforementioned, will be a UFA as well. Um, the, the part that I'm looking at, though, is the year after, you have RFAs in Mason Lorai, Lauko, Beecher, Geeky. All of them are going to need new, new deals, assuming you want to keep them around. Uh, Marshan and Frederick are going to be UFAs and you're losing Linus Allmark. So while right now you sit there and go, well, you got $50 million in cap space in two years, you're going to eat into that by signing multi-year deals on players when you have $26 million roughly next season. Like if you sign Swayman to a 6-5 deal, 
you're not just taking 6.5 off of next year's cap. You're taking it off of the following year as well. Right. You are, Chris, but you're not including, okay, $50 million in cap space. There's another $4 million cap increase that's not included in that. How how do you think they're going to – how are they going to use up $54 million in cap space by signing Morgan Geeky and Jake DeBrusque? It's not those – it's who are you signing to replace them? Well, okay, you got Merkulov in on an entry-level contract. You got Trevor Kuntar in on an entry-level contract. You still got Matthew Potre in on an entry-level contract. Uh, Mason Lorai isn't going to command $9.25 million on his second contract. No, probably not. I don't I don't see that being a thing. But you, you do have to get a bridge deal in there for him. You have to figure out where that's going to be. Um, no, and I don't see a guy like Watherspoon taking up a ton of money if you are able to re-sign him if you want to, <laughs> 26. But if you're trying to replace some of these guys with free agents that are hitting the market, which I think the 24-25 class is going to be a lot better than the 23-24 free agency class, you know, you're going to want to swing some money in free agency. If, if yeah, you're, but we're talking fifty million dollars, Chris. That's yeah. Like how many how many top line players are you going to sign in free agency in in two years? And let's put it this way: the top line guys rarely make it to free agency. Rarely, you're picking second tier guys like James Van Riemsdyk or Kevin Shattenkirk in free. You're you're not getting superstars in free agency. Overall, no, but every once in a while, some hit. And Who was the last one? John Tavares? Johnny Gaudreau. When he signed in Columbus. Your definition of a superstar is different than mine. Then. But still, like, would you... Would, would you have Johnny Goodrow on your team right now at his cap hit in Boston? I, I think his play is greatly diminished based on the team that he's with right now. And a lot they've had nothing but major injuries since he's gotten there. Patrick Line has barely played a full season since Goodrow. Okay, but you can you can only base it on what you've seen. Right. And he himself hasn't looked terrible in Columbus. What he did in Calgary was a lot better, obviously. Yeah. What's his cap at nine five right now? Yeah, at nine five, bringing him in, I wouldn't be against it if I had the cap space of fifty four million dollars versus thirty four million dollars. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't it's, think it's, 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 needs right it's now. It's the same with Elias Lindholm. I'm not bringing him in at nine million bucks either. No, but I don't think Elias. <laughs> worth nine five i think johnny gaudreau in the right situation can make himself worth nine five every year i just right now the circumstances that he's had in columbus haven't matched what helps him produce still 54 million bucks is a lot of money it's a lot of cap space i'm even looking at next year at 26 million that's a lot yeah, they're not going to use it all. I guarantee they will not use it all. No, because they don't have enough spots 
unless they vastly overpay for free agents. They don't have right. enough to fill it all but, in. But that's my point. They're not going to use what they have. So why are we trading Linus Allmark for cap space? I'm saying, and I'm I'm not saying you. I I'm not saying you. We're okay. talking to to the fans out there, and they're the ones that's saying, "Let's trade Allmark for cap space." What do you need cap space for? This year you need it, but not next year. The one, the, the, right. The, but you're not trading Allmark for cap space this year because if you trade Allmark for cap space this year, you've got a hope in hell of winning around in the playoffs. Yeah. No, the, the, the kind of player that I'm looking at as part of it, I'm talking about a true hockey trade <coughs> next year that includes Alinas Allmark where – Let's let's pick a team that's goaltender needy that that's in a win now kind of mode that that may need to look at shedding some of their own cap space as well, and obviously they've been mentioned with Lena Solmark before. Just as an example, the L.A. Kings. But you're if if you're offering them Lena Solmark, you're trying to get a guy like Kevin Fiala back, or. Philip the no back. Like that's the type of player you're asking for and building the the deal around a top end player, let's say Philip the no who's a, a top line center and Linus Olmark. Then you're filling everything in to balance out the scales. If that makes sense. I I just don't think it happens. I don't think the Bruins have any interest in trading Linus Olmark. The, I really don't. The bigger issues, I don't think they want to trade them either. I look at it and I go, the guys that are making that kind of money, most of the ones that you want aren't going to be the ones that you go and get. Because they're, those are the ones that other teams are going to try to keep. Now, a team that you might be able to help kind of pick apart as bad as it is, Maybe the St. Louis Blues, they've got a lot to worry about and a lot of bad contracts, but I'm not trying to deal Linus Allmark to a team that, uh, first of all, they don't need Linus Allmark that bad. They've got Hoffer and Bennington. Bennington could use some work, but, you know, right now they're not going to give up the guys that I want. Braden Shen, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo. Like those are the guys that I would circle on the on the front end. I don't want to trade him for Tory Krug. Colton Pareko seems to have hit a wall, and Nick Letty and Nick Marco Scandella, like they're not going to be enough on our blue line to fix what our blue line's going to need. Now maybe maybe Letty could fill in it, but now you're bringing in a four million dollar third line third pairing defenseman on the left side. You just got rid of Derek Forbort for three mil. Yeah. It's it's just not worth it. I don't see a deal being made out there, but at the same time, if you can get a you know a first round draft pick and a prospect for him, but goalies not... goalies don't bring first round draft picks, Chris. What? Well, who's the last goalie that went for a first round draft pick? I I don't know. I'd have to look. I don't I don't think you're going to get what makes it worth it. No, oh, I, 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 I don't think the Bruins try and make that call. 
With, with what the Bruins can get for Linus Allmark, I think they have absolutely zero interest in trading him. I, w- I will bet, I will bet a cup of coffee right now that Brandon Bussey gets traded before Linus Allmark. I agree. I agree. I agree. hundred percent. I wouldn't trade Allmark either because you have what you have. You have a neutralizing weapon night in and night out between the pipes. Yep. It's not worth doing that. I think I the would, Bruins, the Bruins would be nuts to try and, and pass Bussy through waivers next year. I, I think they've got no interest in trading Allmark. I think they got absolutely even less interest in trading Jeremy Swayman. And uh, I think Bussy's the one to go. And then you the hope. Phone, call Washington and ask for your 2025 second round pick back and send him Brandon Bussy. Yeah. That's it. it it's, it's a simple deal. Yeah, or, I mean, you got him for nothing. You didn't use a draft pick for him. Call Edmonton. Tell them you want their second-round draft pick. Bet you they'd give it. Well, Washington has three next year. Yours, Colorado's, and their own. And then they have your draft third-round draft pick this year because that, that was part of the whole Orlov and um, yeah. all, that whole deal. So get some of your draft picks back and – Give them somebody that they can put behind Darcy Kemper that's not Hunter Shepard. Right. It's it's not overly hard. But Or to your point, Edmonton, they've got to do something. Honestly, well, they don't have any draft picks either. But Toronto needs a goaltender. Like, they need to do something. Um, New Jersey, like... Pick a goaltending you, need. You don't. Team. You don't like what's his name in in playing for the Marlies and for Toronto. Hildeby. Um, yeah, Hildeby. I don't think they want to use him up at you the did. NHL level. Here's. They just played Martin thing. Jones on back to back. Here's a thing for Bruins fans: you'll never guess who the Toronto Marlies goaltending coach is in the AHL. Oh, it's um. Uh, isn't it Hanu Toivonen? It is. Yes. It is. It's Hanu Toivonen. Oh, that's a name from the past. Yeah. So, anyway, we so, we are here two-hour mark on the show. So, any last thoughts to wrap this up so our poor listeners don't have to keep listening to us ramble on this episode? Uh, we can always do a two-parter and record more and send that one out uh, for them to listen to as well. Uh, nothing that comes to, to mind. I'm sure next week (laughs) when we get together, there's going to be a lot to discuss. It's a tough road trip. Um, we'll get a clear picture where they stand on the Forbert situation. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think there's going to be a lot to discuss next week. Um, and obviously it's, there's it's going to trip. Go ahead. So, so it's a four game, right? Yep. Four games in seven days. So today yeah. is Sunday. Tomorrow they have 
Colorado, and then they go to Arizona, and then they have a day off, then they go to Vegas, and then a day off, they go to St. Louis, a day off, and they're back home to play the Devils. And then they have two days off again. So, you know, <laughs> I guess you could throw the Devils into it as a road trip because that's, you know, it's it's one, one, two, three, four, five games in seven, eight days. Yeah, and the first game back is always like a road game anyway. Right. Especially, so that's a good team. Yeah. Let's see. So that's 10 points on the table. What would be the target that you hope they come out of this with? Because Arizona's playing tough. No, they're not the out that they're not the gimme that people would think, especially on a back to back against Colorado. You still got to travel from Colorado to Arizona. I think if they come out of it 500. Uh, so five out of a possible 10 points that we can call it somewhat successful. I would agree. I, I, I five to six points. Um, I, I see New Jersey and Arizona as games that could likely go to overtime just because of the travel. Yeah. Um, Colorado, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put a lot of stock. I want to see how they play. Obviously that, that I put more stock in than the win or the loss. Florida Florida destroyed them though at home. Yeah. But they're still just a wagon. Yeah. And if you catch them, what you got to try to do is catch them on their heels, come out quick and try to get an early lead on them. Then you have a shot. But if you let them hang around, They'll they'll park you the same way we can do it to other teams. Yeah. So it really, for me, it comes down to how are they how are they coming out playing starting the road trip? Arizona should be take two points from it. Again, maybe a second point in the shootout. They're gonna go hard against Vegas because one defending Cup champions and two Bruce Cassidy. They want they want to take the game against their former head coach. Yeah, and it'll be Swayman and net against Vegas, right? Uh it yeah, would Swayman gets Swayman gets Colorado, Vegas. And and New Jersey. Because all no, who who got Tampa? Wasn't that Swayman? Allmark. No. Wait. I'm I'm pulling up Game Center now. I don't remember. My God, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. I don't even remember what day of the week it is. There's too much snow out there. It was Allmark against Tampa. Yeah, so Swayman will get Colorado, Colorado, Vegas, and Jersey. Yep. And that means Allmark gets the Coyotes and the Blues. Because he'll get Colorado when they face him on the 18th at home. Yeah. At least we know who our starting goaltenders are going to be because there's a pattern to it. Yeah. And watch, just when we saw we had it all figured out, Montgomery will throw a wrench in it. It'll be all Mark against Colorado and then Swayman against Coyotes. So, anyway, I can't thank you enough. Uh, Like I said, I, I always can do this for hours. Um I want to thank our listeners if they're still listening. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's a yes. bit of math. Um, 
And like you said, we'll be back next week with more, with a lot more to go over. We're going to have four or five games. We'll probably record somewhere in that two day break. Um, but again, thanks for listening and go bees. Go bees. <laughs>